0: Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Arena Stage in Washington, D.C. presents the world premiere of the Frederick Douglass musical American Prophet, now through August 28th. I spoke to Marcus Humman, who co-wrote the book and wrote all of the songs after a Nashville career writing hits like One of These Days for Tim McGraw, Cowboy Take Me Away for The Chicks, and the Grammy-winning Bless the Broken Road for Rascal Flatts. Hey, Marcus Hummond, thanks so much for
1: joining us on WTOP. Oh, glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: We are talking to you. I mean, I'm all excited because I know all the the huge country hits you've written from Bless the Broken Road on and on and on. We we can get onto that maybe at the end of the interview. But first, uh, we got to talk about the real reason we're talking, um, because... Uh, you wrote the music, uh, along with a bunch of other talented folks, um, for American Prophet, the Frederick Douglass uh, musical that is at Arena Stage now through August 28th. Now, we interviewed the star, the gentleman that plays Frederick Douglass, a couple weeks ago, but I wanted to follow back up and sort of uh, see how it's going and, and take sort of a music angle. So I guess first, tell me, um, tell me how you got involved with the project. Did Arena Stage reach out to you, or, or how, you know, how did you get tapped to do it?
1: Sure. Well, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually the co-book writer and, um, I started, uh, I actually started seven years ago, almost eight years ago now by myself with a project, which was kind of a, um, a song cycle, but we, I used some of, uh, Douglas's language from his first narrative, his first of three autobiographies and, um, it, 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 but it wasn't really wildly ambitious, but it was beautiful in its own way. Um, a lot of choral music and, uh, I started to read the other two biographies and I realized how extraordinary Douglas's life was even beyond that first book narrative. And the fact that, you know, that he had uh, been friends with John Brown and he had had this really interesting relationship with Lincoln. And then I wanted to really make a big American musical. And so I I wanted to have a co-writer on the book and I wanted to have a great director. And so, I had some theater contacts in New York, so I've done a lot of theater on the side, much to the chagrin of my country publishers, by the way. (laughs) Do it all. Do it all. That's like the worst thing you could do. What? You're doing theater No. (laughs) (laughs) And um, anyway, I found that there was this guy, Charles Randolph Wright, and, and everybody said, no, he's the guy. He is absolutely the guy.
0: Yeah, but he I mean, Motown the wanna. musical, right? Motown the musical. Motown, right? but he also
1: had a he had he had sort of street cred in terms of his his politics, his cultural vision. Uh, there, there are just a lot of aspects about him, and everyone was like, you know, really, but they they were all also saying, you know, he may not want to work with you. You know, he's just not gonna just like anybody. You know, and. Uh, Anyway, he did finally, I kept sending him materials and he he didn't even listen to them. (laughs) But then he finally came to Nashville. I think he told me because he was actually there to see family. And we put together a little, uh, you know, a couple of scenes uh, and uh, a speech or two from Frederick and about four songs. And at the end of it, he he just said, uh, he said, play that first song again. And it was the only song that remains from the original. Which one is it? It's called, the opening piece is called What Does Freedom Look Like? Mm. Um, which has also been, was subsequently recorded by Jennifer Warren's, which is, she has a very interesting version. But um, that's the only thing that exists from, I mean, that and a couple scenes are there. Everything else, once Charles got involved, he was like, let's get to work. And so that was for me the beginning of um, a lot of exploration, both as a script writer, but as a uh as a composer, because I kind of, I knew what I, or at least I felt I knew what the show should sound like, but the songs in a sense, uh, really in essence had to be written because there was a little bit of a body to work from, but nothing, it just, it really happened. It, things got rolling and they got rolling fast. And Charles and I, you know, Charles is an extraordinary, not just an extraordinary artist, uh, director and uh, collaborator, script writer. He is a, an, just an extraordinary human being, and that also was what I needed. I really needed someone that I could, you know, I felt a sense of you know mutual empathy and and vision. For example, we we early on decided that we wanted to not just explore Douglas's sort of ascendancy during this period up to the age of forty-seven in eighteen sixty-five. I wanted to end the show uh, uh, with the death of Lincoln and with the end of the Civil War partly because um, we did not want to do a full biopic and because he had another 30 some years of really interesting things to do with his life, but that first 47 years, that's really the stuff. I think that's where the fire, pardon the reference, but that's where the fire (laughs) really kind of is. And and he was all about that. And also he was all about the idea of um, that if possible, if we could use Douglas's language in the show, it would give people a sense of what an extraordinary writer and orator he was. And it would take a while, but you know, and some real due diligence. We had scenes from autobiographies, scenes with John Brown, scenes with Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we would have to find pieces of journalism and pieces of speeches and, and his many writings to, to try to flesh out conversations. I mean, obviously, it's when you see the show it's not all when he's speaking, it's not all Douglas, but we think it's about 85%. Yeah. And, that, and that gives it a sound that, that one of my sons, uh, one of our sons, we have three sons, and one of them is a singer songwriter performer Levi and doing real well, but he came down twice. He flew back in a second time. And he said, one of the things he said to me, he goes, he goes, why are we so dumb now? <laughs> <laughs> How is it that people spoke like that? And I was like, well, people didn't speak like that necessarily. Douglas spoke like that. The most
0: eloquent, elevated among us might have at Lincoln Douglas, but not everybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um,
1: and the other thing that, uh, that Charles and I both really set out to do um, was that we really wanted to talk about his wife. And...
0: Right, that's what the actor, that's what he was uh, telling me, um, that you really, Cornelia Smith Jr. was the guy's name. He said that they you re- really elevate the story of Douglas's wife, and she never really got her due, Anna Douglas, before this, but this show really elevates her. Talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, well, um, honestly, she's been kind of den- denigrated historically, and really for for no good reason at all. I mean, you know, because she's a woman, because she's black, because she's older than him, because people said that she was illiterate, which, by the way, her family just, her, her daughter ended up writing a book in her defense, which in and of itself is significant. Why do you have to write a book in the defense of your mother? Right. After She's, she's been married to your dad for 45 years. They have five right. kids, 21 grandchildren. Why are you writing a defense? Well, the reason is because she needed a defense. And the reality is that this is a woman who basically masterminded uh, Douglas's escape from right. slavery and therefore was probably already a soldier in the Underground Railroad. Mm-hmm. We know for a fact that she ran uh, the railroad through their Rochester home. She took care of all the money she took. And he was on the road, you know, pretty much constantly during the 1840s and 50s. And and she did the lion's share of raising the kids and clearly was the, um, a, a significant you know, backbone in the story of Douglas that as, as the, there's one of the songs that, that we have, uh, if, if, uh, if she's, you know, without Anna, I, I just don't think there's a Frederick Douglas as we understand him today. So we really wanted, and also also remember too, like we we're always thinking of Douglas. I'm sure Cornelius pointed this out. I think so. Actually, I saw that uh, interview uh, that he pointed out that when we think of Douglas, we often think of him as the Lion of Anacostia yeah uh, as the older statesman elder statesman and and we're looking at a young man that you know he probably met we think he met anna at about the age of 18 she would have been 23
0: and it was so around t- it was baltimore-ish right because he was a slave right. in maryland and she sewed she was a seamstress helped to sewed in That's a right. sailor's attire to help escape like it's That's it's right. an incredible story the anna and yeah. him together
1: yeah and it's so dangerous too like we uh and there's a piece in it where i i kind of developed. Uh, a musical piece called children of the same river and you know it turns out that you know he was owned by uh edward colonel edward lloyd and the and then ultimately the odd family and it's kind of complicated but basically by one of the wealthiest men on the on the eastern seaboard but he lived right there in talbot county so that's the same basic area that not only anna but harriet Tubman is from it's right like there's, exactly. something, there's something in the water there you know
0: exactly exactly
1: yeah So they really were, as the song says, they really were children of the same rivers, rivers flowing into the Chesapeake, basically, and and then out to sea. So that's why it's
0: so cool you're doing it in this area. You know, it's like a big full circle moment.
1: Oh, listen, when I found out when uh, I found out Arena wanted to do it, you know, like I was so excited, you know, because um, even though I've been in Nashville for 36 years and, you know, and then and kind of grew up bouncing around. My dad was a State Department guy, so we were overseas a lot. But I mean, I'm a DC kid. I mean, I was born in you GW born? Hospital. You're where GW? GW, you know, and I remember I think one of the first things I think I saw Man of La Mancha when I was a little boy at Arena. <laughs> and, you know, it's I know about DC's theater community. It's one of the great theater towns really in the world.
0: Yeah. And Arena and, is right at the top of that class.
1: And to think that we, you know, and with Molly Smith and that, and you know, that that we would get to do it right a stone's throw from where uh douglas lived and and finally passed away um anyway yeah it's been extraordinary i mean i I can't wait i'm going back for the last few shows and and it was hard to walk away from it you know but i do have i guess a life
0: (laughs) (laughs) well tell me i'm I'm really interested too is um is I, i i'm i know that like for instance like when when um when Lynn Manuel Miranda's writing Hamilton, he's diving into Ron Chernow's Alexander Hamilton biography. And then the ideas right. are percolating to write these songs. And forgive me if that's a comparison too many people make, but I'm going somewhere with this. Is I want to know when you start diving into um, Douglas's three biographies. I guess we had the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass, an American slave. We had the Slavery, uh, the my, bondage. my Bondage, and My Freedom. My freedom and then. Like that, yeah. Life and times of Frederick Douglass, right. Um, I will never, at the University of Maryland College undergrad, I'll never forget reading that for the first time. And, you know, like you, I grew up in country music up in the cornfields of Maryland and, you know, a country fan country music's changed a lot of course but I feel like people that grew up sort of where we did didn't really even read you heard of Frederick Douglass we didn't read this so reading those right. words it like it's life-changing so tell yeah. me about when you encountered his actual words and when the musical ideas started going or, or were they at separate times like did you read it earlier I guess probably well
1: it, I mean again it, it, the, the the genesis of the really the piece that you see now I mean Yes, early on, as I say, seven or eight years ago, I, I, I do a fair amount of writing theater, you know, just, and a little bit of opera and some choral work. And so the, the Episcopal, the Episcopal um, Cathedral in Nashville had come to me for a choral piece the year before, this is many years ago, and they liked the piece I did, and they came back and they said, we'd like you to create something based on your understanding of the prophetic And I thought they probably wanted me to write about Jeremiah or Isaiah or whatever. But I happened to be, um, I'd been at a bookstore and I saw the narrative just sitting there. And I remembered from college, you know, reading some Frederick Douglass, but I never really dug in deep, you know. But there was that just a, something was there, some special thing that needed to be fed. And I picked up the book and I was, you know, blown away and so I I happened to be reading it right at that time and I told the dean of the cathedral I said would you mind if I did an American prophet Uh and he was like he was like okay sure and (laughs) and so that that that's what began with a a, as I say a much more modest endeavor but even there what I I immediately realized that Douglas has given us actual language not only his own but he he was quoting you know the overseer, you know, who's calling out Demby, you know, out of the out of the Tuckahoe Creek, and he gave us language for a variety of things, and and so once I got working with Charles, the the premise, the thought was, well, if this is a guy who wrote three autobiographies, and the third one uh, he edited as a second edition, this is someone who wants to tell his story. Yeah, this is someone who. Uh, really believes that his story in his story is something really very important for us to learn Mm -hmm. as Americans just as people and so we should probably endeavor to let him tell it you know there are times in the in the process of writing the script and the score with Charles you know working with Charles where we'd have dramaturgs and and sometimes people would have you know certain types of criticisms and my premise was always like well it's fine to you want a critical eye looking at things, but you better come to it from a Frederick Douglass perspective, not a you perspective. I mean, I'm not telling you my version of the story. I'm not telling you, we're not telling you Charles's version. So we wanted to tell Frederick, we want to let Frederick say it. And so consequently, for example, the, the biography that autobiography that I personally use the most was like actually Life and Times. Okay. Because in Life and Times, he really delves into. Well, it covers the uh, the mid to late mid from the mid. You know, uh, I was saying bondage. I think ends in like I think is published eighteen fifty five. I can't remember. Yeah, eighteen fifty five. Uh, that was the second yeah. one. Yeah, it
0: was 1845, one. 1855, and then the last one you're talking about. And then eighty one and ninety two, yeah.
1: something like that.
0: Yeah. So you ha- um, you nailed it. You nailed that was exactly oh, good, on. Good. Yeah, I have it up in oh, front,
1: and I- you got it up in your brain. <laughs> Well, I tell
0: you what, I better know it. <laughs> yeah, if anyone. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Anyway, but in that one, you know, you're reading along and and then here he is. He's coming to contact with John Brown, who himself is such a fascinating character in American history and, and prophetic in his own way. And um, and then there was, you know, uh, and listening to those conversations as I'm reading them, thinking about what he's saying. And that's. You know that, and then you're moving along, and then he's terribly critical. of Lincoln and Lincoln, of course, nobody's been written about more than Lincoln. Mm-hmm. But here he is having this critical perspective. But then they're meeting, and then the meeting is so extraordinary. And uh, and then the transitions of uh, Lincoln's racial conceptions uh, just before he dies. And you know, obviously, part of the premise of our show is that is that you know the Thirteenth Amendment and uh, you know these perspectives are affected by douglas and we'll anyway i don't want to say for people there are people who might not have seen i want you to go see the show but we'll we make a, i think a strong case for uh why douglas you know it, it gets for many things but why douglas deserve more credit yeah. for the end of slavery at least at least the legal end of slavery in america
0: oh i agree entirely and those those uh meetings at the white house with with lincoln and i I believe he was the first african-american to actually ever be invited into the white house i think
1: that's that's correct they make the point that he was the first uh african-american to uh, advise a sitting president and you know he ends up doing it uh really twice and then he has a third meeting which is at the second inaugural and he was also about to have a tea he was invited to tea with uh, uh lincoln and mary todd and and he uh, couldn't go because he had a speech that day he, he regretted it the rest of his life because he would never and, get uh,
0: the, yeah, SS no, yeah
1: uh, no? that would be it that yeah. would be it and, and we'll never know too like i wonder often uh if if lincoln had lived what uh, whether or not um uh douglas would have seen more of a role in, in an act in the actual cabinet um, of a second administration i mean we'll, we'll never know I think,
0: I, I think you're dead on. I think he and I think he would have because, I mean, we, we could we could play that game all day because the, could, the yeah. re, re failure of reconstruction in the next hundred years of Jim Crow and et cetera, et cetera, it, it sets off a ripple effect because we don't have Lincoln in it anymore. We have Johnson who, you know, it was a Southern sympathizer and it becomes a whole, a whole thing. But yeah, I think you're right. I think Douglas and Lincoln were so tight that I think that, you know, everything would have been a lot different.
1: You want to I'll tell you a funny thing about because, uh, of course, Johnson really, you know, hated Douglas and they had a they had a, a oh, yeah. they had a, a famous face to face that didn't go well. And and, <laughs> and the, but the funny thing is that when when I tried to uh, romance Charles Randolph, right, to work on this project with me, the
0: wooing process.
1: We, <laughs> yeah, we we met. Uh, where he came in to hear a, a, a few songs and a couple scenes was the Andrew Johnson theater. Oh in Nashville, no, Joe, it's a kismet, man. Yeah. That's, that's how that is. But, and, 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 as far as the music, you know, the music, a lot of times things just, just sort of, the music kind of comes to you through the characters. And, and also I have a director, you know, who, you know, like there's this one section, uh, where Douglas a little boy and he's been passed around within this family, goes to Baltimore. And, and then of course, famously he's, he's sent there to basically be a manservant or a slave to, a, to a, an eight-year-old boy that is anyway. But he's, uh, the woman there doesn't, apparently doesn't know about the sort of judicial or jurisprudence around the enslaved. And so she decides that he's obviously really bright and she wants to, so Sophia Odd, started to teach him the Bible. And that comes to us from all three autobiographies. So out of that comes this rant from her husband about how a slave is illegal and you'll ruin them and he won't understand anyway and so forth. And from that, the eight-year-old realizes it because again, Douglas is a genius. And so even as a little boy, he suddenly realizes how the whole thing is structured yeah, and that it's structured around keeping people ignorant keeping people uneducated not giving them the keys to freedom it still and he has is. Great, it still it, is it, there's it different tools is.
0: there's cable news there's social media but it still is
1: hey listen it may not be that long before we won't be able to tell the frederick douglas story so all you're going to have is a musical
0: i'm with i'm with you yeah <laughs> actually it's, it's, it's scary but yeah
1: but but i'll give you an example so there he has this phrase he goes very well thought i now, If knowledge, un- knowledge unfits a child to be a slave, to wit, one mystery re- resolved, you know. Uh, he understands that, and to me, that was clearly music because so much of his language is music. So I started to work, um, well, I'd, I'd had a piece actually called Very Well Thought I, but it was a choral, up-tempo, kind of a weird, fun, but it was more of an oratorial piece. And here's an example of having a great collaborator is that Mike, You know, and I was just kind of willing to let it go because we needed tempo and we need, you know, a show, a show got got to have a lot of different kinds of rhythms, you know? Yeah. And Charles is like Charles goes, Marcus, because, you know, we have got to have this is this is not a moment for everyone. I mean, it is in a broad sense, but this is a really special moment for a little boy who's been traumatized and you have to take us inside you've got to bring us way inside. So that's also what the process is like. It's also about not just me looking at things, characters, the moments, but it's having a great collaborator who says, give me a different kind of piece of music. And then, so now there is a beautiful, I think, I think really, of course, Cornelius sings it so well. And there's an ar- arpeggiated guitar piece. Most of the show's written on piano, but, uh, and it's very lyric and it's very, you know, you can really, I think you can really feel and Cornelius, so by the way, I just want to say um, I have, we, we have two just, we have a great cast in general. I mean, um, but I just want to say Cornelius is just like, he just wears me out. And so does Crystal and every yeah. time I watch the show, I'm every time I'm moved by them, by their, you know, their instincts as actors, How, you know, how Cornelius has embodied this really complex character and you know, of course we'll never know I mean history, you know, this is this is our attempt at at letting as we said, as I said, Fred tell it but man it just works for me and he seems like, like there's sort of a controlled anger at times in him and then, and then he breaks and you know they must he must have been fun too because they were in love and they're young. Yeah, and. But then it's dangerous, you know, and he's out there, and you know it's amazing he lived through the 1850s. I can't believe he wasn't assassinated. Yeah, you know. Anyway, no. I, I'm bad about Douglas. I've, I've been I'm so nerdy about the stuff that that once I get talking it's just like blah blah blah
0: <laughs> oh you you won't find a more willing p- participant for the the nerding out about frederick Douglass and history and al- alternate history and what could have been and uh, yeah I, i'm 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 game let's go <laughs> well
1: i can i can i can tell you you you've done some you've done your reading and like you must know this stuff have you read david blight's book have you tried no i one? have
0: not recommended I'm, I'm dying what, what which what is it
1: uh well it, it won the pulitzer uh, and uh, two, three years ago, and it's, uh, you know, most people, I guess people consider that sort of the, 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 the main uh, biography, although, you know, he has, there are some things about it that, I mean, you know, in the Douglas world, like, there are a lot of people have a lot of strong opinions, but yeah, but yeah Dave, I can't remember, it has the term American prophet in it, but I can't remember the name of it, but uh, David Blight, and it's, yeah, and, and he won the, the Pulitzer Prize, I believe, three years ago for it. Oh, that might so, be
0: my summer reading.
1: Thank that's you. <laughs> pretty, that's pretty. pretty definitive, I think. I mean, it's a, It's close to 700. And, I think it's 750 pages because um, Charles Isherwood referenced that book the other day in his Wall, Wall Street Journal review. By the way, that was exciting. I mean, Peter Marks getting the likes of Peter Marks and Charles Isherwood to review the show and then to survive it.
0: washington Washington post stamp of approval yeah
1: well that's the most to me was you know like having peter uh that that honestly you know maybe it's because i'm maybe because i'm actually a dc guy yeah yeah That actually i have to say that was pretty extraordinary i mean i really felt uh i felt the entire cast and everyone were kind of blessed by that
0: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned you were a DC person, uh, born, raised, and then moved to Nashville. But I want to know a little bit more about your story. So, what took you to Nashville?
1: Well, it's just music. You know, I mean, I I was, uh, like I said, I was born in DC, but my dad was foreign service, worked primarily for AID. Uh, And then we bounced around West Africa, East Africa, Philippines, Saudi Arabia. They eventually continued on in Botswana for many years. But I went to college and up in New England and then. Um, in the midst of all of that, I, I was studying political science, but decided I, you know, I was spending more time in the music rooms and <laughs> <clears throat> playing clubs on with guitar and then I taught myself piano and, and uh, I got the bug and it, you know, the bug while I was in college for, for writing music and playing, you know, different instruments and uh, it never left. I mean, I'm 61 now and I still it's it still obsesses me and so I yeah I moved initially to LA which is its own long weird trip story but and then drove cross country to Nashville when somebody heard me in LA and said you got to go to Nashville and um, I got there in 86 and I never left I fell in love with this town the, you know, the largest songwriting community in the world, and then nobody's close per capita, right? Oh, but it's also the ethos, the whole culture is around songwriting and about the ability just to actually sing, play instruments, to write songs, to be lyrical. And uh, spent years trying to get record deals, did get record deals, but you know that really kind of didn't work out. There was no Americana. Uh, I was probably not country enough, but interestingly, people started recording my songs. And so I had a career that I didn't expect to have and that's so I kind of shifted gears and just wrote songs and wrote with groups and then did independent records and then I just started writing plays I mean <clears throat> I had a friend that you know said you should try it you write story songs anyway um, and I was like well I actually grew up with parents that were huge theater people really you know and they would and in D.C. they're at the Kennedy Center and arena and signature and they were but I mean, I heard as much theater music actually growing up as I heard anything, and so Great. once I started to make that move, then again, it was like getting a it was like getting a virus again. You know, that's uh-huh. probably the wrong metaphor to use these days. Yeah, the nowadays you know, yeah, I'm going to try something
0: out. You got bit by the bug.
1: <clears throat> that's worse. That's worse. That's wor- yeah, nowadays. Yeah, <laughs> now, now we're talking <laughs> locusts. Come on. <laughs> no, let's say just an obsession, and the, that obsession continues but you know from a from a guy who's fundamentally a songwriter when you move into theater you know a lot of the 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 bones of the process are in songs to me and i still i'm those are my favorite theater writers too the writers that kind of that when you left you were really moved deeply by by songs and you know hopefully you can even maybe remember them and and take them with you or come back and and revisit that so that that's uh, that's kind of been my thing you know i was just yeah. um, I've I've kept my hand and I still write with artists today. You know, I still sit with the artists and do my actual job, job, you know, I write for a company. Um, But on the side, I I go out and I tour as a singer, singer, songwriter. And just, you know, just to to keep my hand in that. That's a big part of my life. Um, But then I write theater and uh, I had another I had an opera in January called Favorite Son, which was about Episcopal High School. <laughs> nice. Well, I, it was about a running back. I was a running back for Bullis. Uh, no in, way. Uh, yeah, well, I, was a, I was a
0: linebacker, so we'd be going at it.
1: <laughs> uh, hey, where, 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 where'd you play?
0: <laughs> oh, I, it's in Frederick County, Maryland. Uh, Linganore yeah. High School. Uh, Coach oh. Connor, yeah, like he's gone to like a million state championships in a row. But
1: Wow. Yeah, I played for Bullis. Uh, I was, when we moved back to the United States from Saudi Arabia, um I I my parents were living in Potomac and so Bullis was just down the street. Oh, yeah. And I was a, a ball player and I, I kind of looked at a couple different schools and actually uh, you know, tried out as a basketball player first. And but I don't, you know, <laughs> wanted to play. I've been away from the US for five years, but my senior year I played uh well, junior and senior I played basketball for Bullis and then and then we actually won or were co-champions of the IAC my senior mm-hmm. year. Uh, were, were you guys actually, like a,
0: what was your back? Was it like a power eye or like a wing tee or a
1: yeah, it was a wing. It was what is the one that the oh what do they call it? Now it's sort of archaic at this point. I think Delaware uses it. Um yeah. the double wing. Double and the and actually the other running back was uh uh he was I think he was all met and uh he was Stevie Mertz. And Steve Mertz went on to play for Towson for Division One. Wow. Um and I think he was the hundred meter champion uh I know that he was fast as lightning. And then I was the other back and played the other side, but also was kind of a slot receiver as well. I went on in college, I played for Williams College and, and, and Williams, at Williams I played, I played slot back.
0: All four years. Did you play all, all four years? All four years. I have
1: I have two fake hits to show for it.
0: <laughs> I played a year <laughs> at King's College uh, and then transferred but I'm proud. I, I, see man I lo- this is what I love about you. You're the renaissance man. People say you know oh the meathead jocks can't appreciate theater and theater people don't like country music who don't know uh African-American history. No learn it all be it all and you're a walking example. Of oh it.
1: well yeah we gotta have fun in every direction
0: exactly exactly no no boxes to put people in thank you so much for joining us um and uh and telling us a little bit of your dc backstory and football yeah. tang- tangents and all, that, <laughs> all the rest but um but i do want to you know let's if you, If we got time let's do a quick we can do it rapid fire style i want to sure. f- i'll throw out some of the amazing hit country songs you wrote and you can just give me okay. a quick tidbit on them or something okay um so obviously, most famously, you wrote, um, you co-wrote Bless the Broken Road for Nitty Gritty Dirt Band originally, like in the early right. 90s, you know, Fishing in the Dark fame. Um, but then you won a Grammy for it when Rascal Flatts famously covered it, you know, like what, like 12 years later in 2006. Right. So tell me about putting together that one and just that whole journey from Nitty Gritty to Rascals version. Oh,
1: well, uh, the Dirt Band version was, uh, I actually sang, the first hit I ever had was a song called Only Love for Winona. That was my first number one. And, um, I was friends with a woman, um, a Burke, who's also hall of fame songwriter. She wrote strawberry wine and, uh, wild angels and lots of stuff. Oh anyway, she was, she was getting married to Jeff Hannah of the dirt band. And of course I was a huge dirt band fan. My wife's a minister. She presided over the wedding. I sang the song only love. And then, uh, Jeff, I, I hadn't really met Jeff and, and, uh, he, he said when they got back from the honeymoon, I was going to get to write with him. And of course, I really wanted to have a Dirt Band cut because I was a huge Dirt Band fan. And even the Dirt Band sound was like the closest thing I had to country music. And that, that was the world I was living in. So it was significant on a lot of levels. And I was just trying to come up with an idea and happened to meet with a guy um, who told me uh, it was at the time not writer. Uh, he subsequently became a writer. Uh, or he may have been a writer at the time, I don't know, but he was working in our publishing company and was just having drinks at a, at a bar. And he was telling me about his, uh, actually his divorce. And if this is all very public stuff. We've t- told this story many times, but in something that he said that night over drinks, just kind of hit a, you know, sort of a, a light bulb in me about um, how love is and how one door closes, another one opens. And, and uh, I got home to the piano and the, started working on bless the broken road and and then when jeff got back from his honeymoon i played him what i had and told him about bobby's uh, sort of insights about life and love and and um so jeff and i actually did the actual writing of it you know and we took a couple of days actually which believe it or not is is a, usually these things come in kind of four four hour increments but we thought we had something special so we spent a little more time and and um and then you know the song was cut by the Dirt Band. They did not use a piano motif. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff, Jeff, and Jeff and Jimmy they didn't sing it. Uh, Rob sang it, and it was great. But it, that we thought that was it, and I thought, well, job done. You know, there it was. That's 27 years ago, and um, and then the actual first piano version with that part, this part here, the uh...
0: oh, he's gonna play it in the studio, folks. Here we go.
1: Yeah. So. Right. Mostly the part that people might know. So that the first time that ever happened was actually my record on Columbia. Um, and uh and Jeff sang background, actually, so did Matresa on that. Um, but of course, nothing really happened with that. And they never put that song out as a single. And then it got cut a few more times. It was even singled by a woman by the name of Melody Crittenden. And, and it went into the 40s. And we thought that was it, you know, because usually you get some exposure for a song and that that's it. And uh, yeah. but it, it just it literally, as it has been said before, it sounds cliched, but it had its own broken road. It just kept, you know, there are people there are people that cut it and didn't put it out that I could list, you know, but. And eventually I was writing with the Rascal Flats guys and had written a few songs for their first couple of records with them. And they used to always say, you know, God, we love that Bless the Broken Road song. Yeah. And I'd be like, Yeah, well, why don't you cut it? Don't, you, uh, <laughs> don't, don't, don't just tell me you like it. Yeah. And, and then they wouldn't cut it. they didn't cut it on the first record, and they didn't cut it on the second, and they didn't cut it on the third record either. But the first single they put out went out and it didn't feel like it went high enough because they were the biggest band at that time. Oh, yeah. And it went, to like, it went to like 12, you know, which for them was like a dismal failure. Do you remember and, what it was? Uh, Do you
0: remember which song?
1: Uh, it was, um, every, uh, you know, it'll come to me. It was, I remember it was written by an English uh, songwriter. Uh, and I remember it was a wonderful song. It, it, maybe it'll come to me as, as we're talking. Sure. But they went back into the studio, and they just decided they, they didn't feel like they had a single, even though they had this great record. Oh, feel, it was called "Feels Like Today." Feels like feels today. Like today. Yeah. yeah, yeah, man. You hey, by the way, we must have a lot in common. You play football. You're oh. the, you're the history. We you're can from talk Maryland, all day. <laughs> and you're, you're a history geek. <laughs> Definitely history geek, music geek,
0: theater, uh, everything, everything. I love
1: it. Yeah. So they went back in and they cut one, you know, one more song. And they did you know uh, bless the broken road and I remember um, when I first heard I was getting back from out of the country and I got back to my publisher and and they they said they actually they were like they actually cut the song and I was like what's you know what do you bless a broken road and then I heard it and it was one of those times where you like you don't actually always love something that people record of yours sure. you say you say you do yeah but you don't actually and when I heard that, recording I was just like man that's like waiting on a fastball it's just like <laughs> those guys right they just killed it. and Gary sang so beautifully and they didn't overproduce it you know it's yeah. like you can hear all the parts to this day it just is one of those rec- recordings that it, it was sort of a magic recording I think
0: Oh yeah and and, and yeah. it 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 was the final perfect destination for all those broken road stops it, you know it, every long lost yeah. dream of someone else putting it out led you to where they were <laughs> at that moment right. and now every wedding you ever go to still plays it it's, it's amazing well I, I i do it
1: i i think i began to realize even before it was a hit once it got out in the world uh, and again part of it is having a minister for a wife that, right. but i mean i was I, I can't, I did countless weddings, countless. I mean, I just, people would say, you know, you know, guess what? This is going to be our song. I'm like, well, it's kind of a lot of people's song. A actually. lot of people.
0: <laughs> I <laughs> apologize. We actually slow danced to Garth Brooks, shameless. <laughs> I'm sorry, but yours would have been good too. I don't too. Blame you. <laughs> <laughs> all right awesome well i know you got to run and so, you know it's good we did a deep dive on that because that's the big grammy winner or whatever but um let's i know you need to run so i'm, I'm doing a rapid fire from here on out all right you okay. can just whatever comes to your mind but uh okay. the chicks uh cowboy yeah. take me away oh and ready to run i guess but both of those with the chicks
1: yeah so the chicks were on their way into sony records when sony was dropping me And uh, so that was like a really hard time. One of the songs off my record that they didn't play was called One of These Days. And that became a number one for Tim McGraw. Tim McGraw, Uh,
0: wait, that's one of these days you're gonna love me. You're gonna love me. And that was
1: my second number one. And that kind of kept me from utter depression when I got dropped. And the other thing that kept me from it is they set me up with the group out of Austin. They just signed the Chicks and I kind of knew who they were because I have family in Texas. Mm. But they'd gotten this new singer, uh, who's an Austin gal, uh, but had gone to Berkeley on a vocal scholarship, Natalie Maines, and they changed their sound, they've been kind of a Riders in the Sky kind of group prior and more, I don't know, but they, once they got her, I listened to what they were doing and it was like, man, this is right down my alley, because Roots Country is my favorite, like, that's my that's my jam, yeah. and yeah. So we wrote. Uh, we mean like red
0: wrote, dirt, or like red dirt, or Root? What do you well,
1: mean? Well, red, red dirt, but then add a add a Jimmy Webb twist. Add okay. a twist of harmonic significance. Like okay. you know, I mean, I to this day, you know, I still, I just want to write Wichita Lineman. You know, or <laughs> uh, is that but, Glenn but Campbell? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, and that, but that's Jimmy Webb, the writer, oh, yeah. and like his piano playing too. Like the ability for in country and roots music to have great chordals, like, and if you move over to folk rock, then you're into James Taylor and Joni and Cat and Paul and, and that world, the merging of those worlds is my favorite thing. I just as a singer songwriter, not necessarily, you know, because once you get into theater, then there are some other colors that come in, you know, that, um, that I'm, uh, that I'm interested in, but, um, but yeah, with the chicks, the, the funny thing for me was the story I always tell is the, our first time I wrote with uh, Marty, the Fiddler's Sister, we actually wrote "Ready to Run," which is sort of a Celtic thing which meets a blues thing. And I didn't know what it was. I loved it. I thought they'll never cut that. But that eventually—that <laughs> eventually was the uh, first single. It was nominated for two Grammys yeah. for a single of the year, I guess, or by a band or whatever. And it won that. But it, song of the year, which is the one which would have been mine yeah. and hers, uh, it did not win. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> But that was a great, I just didn't know. Um, I didn't know that they would become the biggest, you know, one of the biggest bands in the world. And they're amazing,
0: it, that, amazing artists.
1: They're, they're as good as I've ever seen, you know, for me, for my money. And, and then the second time that I wrote with them, they had, by then they'd sold, right, you know, like 7 million records. And so the, it, it wasn't a secret anymore. And we ended up writing a, uh, my little story I'll give a very very short version it's just that I went I you know by then I had to write with them I had to drive out of town and I had to go to a gated community and there were like guards and you know so I got to write and I knew that I only had till three o'clock and that somebody else was coming to write and they had x amount of time and we wrote this song and it it just wasn't very good called Marianne I, I just I don't know why I know the title even but we only had we only had an hour left and she was like heating up some spaghettios or whatever for me and she told me she had a title that she wanted to write for her sister for her sister's wedding and of course you know I I was like oh my god I could you know I could get inside the family it'll be really I'll be tight with the the, (laughs) you know there's there's millions of records I've got to figure this out so I said I told her to tell me the the title we just will write it you know we write it right now that kind of thing and she goes well yeah (laughs) she's like I saved this title for you and, and this I've told this story a lot but she, she said, or what I heard her say was, uh, cow gone, take me away. And I was like, Oh no. I said, So this is really, you know, because for me, I'm old enough for like, that's a commercial. That's, yeah, so, yeah. that's a girl's leg hanging out of a tub. Yeah. And I was like, Well, are we going to do a parody? Is this like going to be a funny bit? Yeah. Like, Love Comes Clean? Or right. what? And at the wedding. And she goes, And I remember just looking at me like, and then she goes, No, 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 no. She's not, no, not cowgon, cowboy. <laughs> Emily is marrying Charlie. Charlie's a cowboy. He actually breaks horses. He has like a ranch in San Antonio. Yeah. And uh, and that song is the fastest song I've ever written with anyone. And it was weird because I I was like, "Well, let's write it." And I had a I had in my book of lyrics, I had like a little quatrain, a little four-line sequence, and she started playing on the mandolin, like, da, "Da da 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 da." And I was like, "I want to touch the earth. I want to break it in my hands." I want to grow something wild, and unruly. Yeah, really. And she's like, "I want to sleep on the hard ground." And the, I mean, we practically spoke it to each other. Wow. The, the, we were done. We had it on a cassette back in the days of cassettes, and we recorded it. I went and did a. I did a demo of it. They were on the road, of course, being incredibly famous. I sent it to them and heard nothing. And eventually, they did "Ready to Run," and they asked me to play the acoustic guitar on it. So I played the guitar and nobody said anything about any other song we'd written. Yeah. And I eventually got a phone call from them and they said that Natalie had finally, Sony had finally paid them money because that was the big deal early on. Not politics, but money. <laughs> and, and, and that she finally had got this kind of lousy car. And she finally bought a really fancy car. Would I like to come see it at the studio? And I was like, yes, I would. So I went to the studio and they said, well, go sit with girls the three women had me come. as a beautiful BMW. And, you know, as you could imagine. And then they said, no, you sit in the passenger seat. And Natalie said to you, would you like to hear the sound system?
0: And I was oh. like, and I
1: was <laughs> like, of course I would. And then they, I said, well, push the button. And I did. And there was the record of Cowboy Take Me Away, which to this day, again, along with Bless the Broken Road and maybe a couple of others, Ready to Run 2, is one of the most beautiful pieces of music that i've been involved with uh that i've ever heard recorded and it just i mean the out it just the outro is worth the price of admission i mean it's amazing so i when
0: she she sat you in that car and hit play did you say it sounds so good to me
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes it sounds
0: so good good. yeah he followed up yeah
1: exactly. well i expected they would play i kind of thought i think i remember thinking that they'd play Ready to run, you know, cuz I could hear that on the speaker, but I'm sure. there it was bah, 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 bah,
0: bah. even better. It might be there. I mean, wide open spaces, there's so many, but that might be right up there at their their best stuff. Uh that's great. Well, I know um you need to run and and we, you and I are we're terrible at rapid fire <laughs> because we love this stuff so much, you can tell, but um Hey, I'm you know, born to fly the cheap seats one of these yeah. days. I mean, there there's there's so many we we could be here all day, but um we we really really appreciate you you taking the time and and it's it's yeah, I love Renaissance. Renaissance man. You're into everything.
1: <laughs> well, let's uh let's do some time when I'm in DC. Let's uh grab a guitar and um uh let's just let's let's play a little let's play some music sometime. If I don't know if your if your listeners like that kind of acoustic stuff so sort of the the a little room thing or whatever. Oh yeah, been- the
0: tiny desk. My boss Joel Oxley was just <laughs> was just talking about trying to to maybe do do some some stuff like that. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Well, they, and, well so they, and you're from you're from around here, so you probably get back up here a good bit, even even after American Profit's done, right? You probably get back. Hey, bit.
1: listen, if you want to do that, I'll get on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> I just hope I just hope American Profit keeps going, so that we have more things that we can talk about theater and oh, and yeah. you know and that hopefully. You know, there, I know there are conversations out there and of course the reviews have been great, so that gives us a leg up to some degree, but it, there's no sure thing, you know, and, uh, but I really do hope, I think that Washington DC has offered uh, so many great pieces of theater and I'm hoping that this is the next one.
0: Oh, it's it's yeah. um I I'm I'm all about it. So thank thanks for doing this. And yes, we'll 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 arrange it. We we'll, we can we can get you in studio plan or anywhere. Yeah, let's make it happen. I'll,
1: I'll bring my banjo.
0: Bring the banjo. Bring the banjo. I uh I, my wife has a banjolele around here. But I can't I can't play words a <laughs> lick. But I, I'm I'll I'll be I'll be geeking out with
1: you. Um, oh, I love banjo. Yeah.
0: It's awesome. Hey, right,
1: thanks for having
0: me. Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. This was awesome. You bet. All right.